0: So, Colossians chapter 3, looking at verse 12, Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear from you all that your spirit is saying to us today, in Jesus' name, amen. So we really have laid down in this book, justification, how salvation works, and it's very simple, it's not of us, it's not of ourselves, it's not by our character, or by our abilities, or by our works. It is a gift of God. Jesus on the cross did 100% of the work, not 99.9, and you have your 1.0% that you've got to come through with. 0%, the thief on the cross, his hands were tied, his feet were tied. He was saying horrible things about Jesus a few seconds before probably when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. What happened? He saw grace. He saw love. He saw mercy. He saw kindness. He saw God. And he had faith in God and in his grace. And it says in Ephesians 2, we are saved by having faith in the grace, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast about their own religiousness or righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Not we're given a temporary pass of righteousness. We are nature, becomes the same nature as Jesus. Now we can't see it in these human bodies, but once we're out of these human bodies, we will see it. We will be as righteous as Jesus is righteous. Not that we're good enough, to have accomplished that. But Jesus accomplished it when on the cross, he said, it is finished. So since he has finished the work, and actually not only of justification, but sanctification, through the one sacrifice, Hebrews 10, uh, 14 says, through the one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those he is now sanctifying. So we have this little bit of window between the day we're born again until the day we go to be with the Lord of storing up good works in heaven and really, hopefully out of love, just wanting to glorify Jesus 100%. Not 20% or 30%, but 100% to glorify Jesus because we love him. And so if you look at Paul's letters, he first lays down the issue of justification. Here is how we are saved. And it's a gift. It's not of your works. It's not of yourself. And then he goes into sanctification. Now, thus far in this chapter three, we saw that sanctification in the first four verses is about us just getting our eyes on Jesus as he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So I'm not to be looking at my lack of righteousness. I'm to be looking at Jesus' righteousness and the gift of righteousness he's given me. I'm not to look at the power I have to keep this Christianity thing going. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm keeping my eyes on the one who began this good work, who will finish it. And when I am weak, then I'm stronger than I ever was when I had some strength of my own. Because in my weakness, his strength is perfect. So there it is. (laughs) Get your eyes on Jesus. I I don't know any other way of doing that other than through the word of God and prayer. And we we looked at that on the first day of the first year in January 1st last week of, of how the word of God is just something that has to be living in us and meditating on it. And that word causes us to pray. Then he starts the first thing to do, and it's to put to death the areas in our life that are sexual, that are unclean, that are impure. The only way sex is to be performed on planet Earth is with a man and his wife, period. Anything outside of that is sin. And he makes it clear that sexual sin is not like any other sin. In 1 Corinthians 6:18, he says, all other sins are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against himself. And in Romans 127, when he talks about homosexuality, men burning against burning for men, and women burning for women, he says they're going to receive in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So sexual sin just put it to death it has to die there there is it's not going to be moved god's not going to say well if you're not married but you you're engaged oh if you're not married but you really love each other then go ahead and do it as long as you really love each other as long as you're committed in a committed loving relationship then it's okay no it starts no it's it's limited it's an amazing thing And you say, well, that's that's God. That's Christianity right there in a nutshell. God confining everybody and oppressing everybody. Believe me, you get an airplane, you want an oppressive pilot. (laughs) He knows exactly where he's going. You leave from here and go to Hawaii, and your gauges are off. One little tiny 30 seconds of an inch, you're going to end up crashing in the middle of the ocean. Because Hawaii is a dot out there. And how planes leave land and hit that dot is a technological marvel. It really is. Got a brain surgeon. We'll just dig around in there. We'll find something to cut out eventually. No, narrow is good. Are you glad you have narrow-minded people at the water department? Yes. Narrow is good. It's healthy. It's how we stay alive. It's amazing. You're you're on the road, and there's one little painted stripe, sometimes white, sometimes yellow, and you're going 60 miles an hour. Of course, California, 80 miles an hour one way. They're going 180 miles the other way, and we both agree that we're (laughs) narrow-minded, and we're going to keep our car on this side of the paint. That's it. I mean, if Abraham Lincoln rose from the dead and got in one of our cars, he'd probably have a heart attack immediately. How can you go 160 miles an hour past somebody and all you have is a painted line to keep you guys alive? No, narrow is essential. And sex is wonderful. God made it. But it's only within marriage. And boy, you look at the societies today, really all the societies, but you can see it amplified in japan and south korea right now people just aren't getting married they're not interested they'd literally rather buy a fifty thousand dollar doll that's a a robot that than than to actually have or to have a a nft a, a, a girlfriend online that they created and made or a boyfriend rather than have another human being it's too much work Thus, no kids are being born So Japan and South Korea are going to be the first ghost continents very soon. It's interesting as as we look at these things that, again, if marriage is the norm, you have a society that can exist. And so put it to death. Now, putting off clothes and taking on clothes, that's something we do every day, isn't it? Hopefully, hopefully you do that every day. Of course, there's about 100,000 people in L.A. County that don't do that every day. But uh, that's another story. But I think most people take off and put on. And so he said back in verse 7 through 9, take off the old clothes that you used to wear as, as a sinner before you came to be a Christian. And he gives five different items in particular that we got to constantly, every day, work at taking off those old dirty clothes. You know, that old smelly, dirty clothes of anger, of wrath, of malice, of blasphemy, of filthy language out of our mouth. Five different items. He says, they're smelly. And, and I know you started in the morning with clean clothes. You, you didn't, you didn't, hopefully didn't wake up angry, you know, screaming at somebody. Hopefully you're you're pretty, you know, taking your coffee and reading your Bible and driving. And, you know, you didn't get on the freeway angry the moment you got on, hopefully. But by the end of the day, uh, I got to take this anger off. I got to take this bitterness off. I am really, my blood pressure is sky high because I'm so angry at what that guy said to me at work. Get back in the word and, and cry out to God in prayer and take off that stuff. And now he gives in verse 10 things to put on. And he gives five different items that of the new man who's been renewed in the knowledge of God. And that's what we're going to look at today, the five items that we're to put on. So it's interesting in verse eight, five items to take off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And he said then to put on, and this is what we looked at the time before, as the elect of God, holy, beloved. We broke those three things down to understand what they really mean, not what the Calvinists say. They are tweaked, weird, strange people with very bad ideas. But what the Bible actually calls these things, and he says, put on, and now he gives us five things. Tender mercies, kindness, Humility, meekness, long-suffering. So the idea is you know if you're in Starbucks and a police officer's on duty and he's getting a Starbucks, you know what he does for a living, right? He's a police officer or a fireman or a mailman or a UPS guy by their uniforms. Well, the idea is we very quickly will be identified as Christians by our uniform. And what is our uniform? Uniform. We, we see there tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And so put them on. This word put on, it means to like sink into, to envelop into. It's fresh, new wardrobe that you haven't been wearing in the past. Interesting, I'm watching the golf tournament. It's in Maui this week. And the company that's supporting it is from Minnesota. <laughs> And they were showing the contrast between the 80-degree day in Maui and being completely covered in snow in Minnesota. Well, you get off the plane in Hawaii with your Minnesota clothes on, don't you? But you quickly put on your Hawaii clothes and vice versa. And so we now have a new clothing that we've never lived in. We used to live in Minnesota, but we moved to Hawaii. We never could wear flip-flops year-round, and now we can. <laughs> we couldn't. We had to have giant jackets and gloves, and, and now we don't need that. And so he's really talking about this. There's a real fresh, appropriate, different attitudes fitting for King's kids. Really, G, the Jesus uniform. You're a Christian? Let's put on the Jesus uniform. Well, what's the Jesus uniform? It's not actual clothing, even though the Catholic Church will think you it is. Jesus clothing, it's an attitude of the heart that's real. It's coming from your heart. It's not something you're doing to make yourself religiously right. It's truly something in your heart. I really do want to love. I really do want to show kindness when they're screaming at me. I really do want to pray for them and love them and do good to them, not because I have to because I'm a Christian, that's what Christians do. It's really just like a torrent of living water. God's Spirit joyfully is flooding out of my heart these attitudes that I want to keep on. This is what Jesus is, and this is who he is. So we first have to take off Do we we realize that we need to take it off? Do you realize that those attributes of anger and wrath and malice really are wrong for a Christian? They have no part of us. We take them off. And then after we take them off, we put them on. So don't try to put them on over. Don't try to put these Christian attitudes, these Jesus attitudes on top of the old clothing. You take off the one, right? Right? then you put on the one. So sometimes it's interesting that some people can get away with different wardrobes. I mean, there are people in the world, I mean, I I think of some comedians and they're known to be angry comedians, you know? And they're very funny, talking about their anger and frustration of the world. And it's almost fitting that they're so, they have such angry, um, intolerant attitudes. But as Christians, it just doesn't work for us. It's not funny at all. It gets us nowhere. It is interesting how I can tell you what you're not wearing right now, but I can't see it that clearly for myself. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it, usually somebody will point out I'm angry. I'm like, you're kidding. I didn't think I was angry. Then I think about it. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't come out of my heart, but yeah, I guess I am acting angry. I guess I really am, but sometimes we we can't even see it. So some things make you look real good, like tender mercies, kindness, and humility. Some things can make you look really bad. So you first got to take it off, but then you don't stand around naked, okay? Don't take off the old clothing and then think, that's what God told me to do, take off anger and malice, and now just run around naked. No. You're, you're, You're immediately... Let me make that clear. You're immediately to put on other clothes. Okay? So he, he doesn't say take this stuff off and run around naked. He says to take off and then to immediately put on. So each one of these qualities that are mentioned here, and this is important, are an expression in relationship. It's interesting, he didn't say, take off the old garments and now start burning candles. I want you to go to church and I want you to at least burn three candles a week. And I want you to get on your knees and I want you to pray while those candles are burning. He he didn't say, put on religion. Put on reading the Bible four hours a week put on praying four hours a week and fasting twice a week. It's interesting that putting on is not religious looking at all. It's not one thing, cut your hair, quit quit wearing so much makeup, only wear dresses. (laughs) Do, Do we get this? There's no religiosity in it whatsoever. None of the clothing is religiousness. It's all clothing about relationship. All the clothing is about blessing other people around us, how we treat other people. Secondly, these things we put on are really Jesus, the nature of Jesus. That's really what we're putting on. And it's not really things to do. So now you start going out and witnessing. You start reading your Bible more often. This is how you get up. This is how you go to bed. This is how, no, it's not really something to do. It's really somehow to be. So when we look at Jesus and we say we want to be like Jesus, well, what do I do? It's really not about doing anything. It's about being. Jesus being. Being is what drew people. Jesus's incredible patience, his love, his kindness, his goodness. People didn't feel condemned. People didn't feel put down. And so really what we're saying is put on Jesus, isn't it? And it's telling us, let's cut through the religious stuff and let's get to the real issue. Here's the secret sauce. How did Jesus be Jesus? How is Jesus the guy that everybody wanted to come to the wedding? (laughs) How is Jesus that everybody wanted to be at the party? How is it that Jesus was the guy who drew thousands of people that could hear him speak for days? What's the secret sauce? We're learning that secret sauce. I think when we're in Philippians, it, it was really clear to us. In Philippians 2, there in verse 1 through 5, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being what? Like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord in one mind. So what is this? Paul is saying, it's nothing to do. I'm not asking you, do this, do that, stop this, stop that. What What is it? If you want to rejoice me and really he's speaking from the Holy Spirit, if you really want to rejoice Jesus's heart, everybody be of the same mind in what? He tells us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Everybody to see themselves to be the servant of everybody else. There's nobody that needs to serve me and I not serve them. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This is the mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let this mind, put on this mind of Christ is another way. Taking off that old human sinful way. You know, I I can't tell me how many times I've told people what they did to me, I will never forgive them. And I know God doesn't want me to forgive them because that's reasonable, it's logical, that's human. To not forgive them, it's human. You, you can't expect me to not be a human being. Of course I'm not going to forgive them. Or I'm going to try to get them back. I'm going to try to get revenge on them. Because that's, that's what normal human beings do. And I'm like, yeah, that, you're absolutely right. Sinful Norman, <laughs> normal human beings. People born in the sinful flesh. There is a, there is a pattern. And, and to do this is upside down. We're trying to get as much money as we can and the best house we can and the fanciest car. So when people look at us, they're like, oh, you're somebody. I'm lesser than you. That's why they drive the car. That's why they buy the house. That's why they wear the clothes. I'm up here. And you understand, even though we're just walking by each other in the grocery store, you understand you are down here. Correct? Correct? that's not the mind of Christ. He became the servant of all men. He saw everybody's interests more important than his interests. He put everybody before himself. So we look at the first thing to put on here, tender mercies or compassion. The old King James actually translates it bowels. Yeah, your bowels, stinky bowels. You know, if you've ever gutted an animal, you know what I'm talking about. And it's, it's really a, a deep, deep Hebrew expression that says deep down in your guts, you've got mercy. This great feeling of mercy, this suffering of mercy. Wow. Have you ever thought of that? I've got this, my stomach's in knots. Have you ever had to confront somebody and two or three days, your stomach's in knots. You can't eat, you can't sleep. You're gonna to have to have this difficult conversation. Your, your stomach's in knots. It's it's this is where Jesus is. His mercies go so deep, don't they? This is the way God is towards mankind. We see it in Matthew 9:36. He Jesus saw the multitude and he was moved, there it is, with compassion for them. His bowels were, were full of a heart of compassion because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. I'll tell you what, I I see this regularly. When I'm on the freeway, you know, this funeral, this last Friday, 450 people there at Dave Diaz. and I looked at so many of them. They were hearing the gospel for the first time. God's grace was really there in a special way. And I literally just grieve that there's so many people who have not given themselves to be a part of a church, who've not submitted themselves to a body of Christ, who are not being fed by Jesus through the Word as we do here. God's given to the church pastors and teachers to to disciple them. And I know that feeling that Jesus had. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36, he he says, you know, love your enemies, do good and lend. and, And this is what God does. God blesses the evil. God blesses the unkind. Therefore be merciful, just like your Father in heaven is merciful. Isn't that crazy? So God is saying, let's have a deep compassion towards one another. The Bible also tells us to have this bowels of mercy towards God. I mean, if you're a parent here and you've seen your kids heading down the wrong road, hanging out with the wrong group, or maybe they're out and out getting high or stealing or and you just see they're they're going to wreck This is God towards us. He's saying in Romans 12, beseech therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, would you be merciful to God (laughs) and present your bodies as living holy sacrifice acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Give God a break. (laughs) Let God quit white knuckling it, observing your lifestyle. Bring God pleasure and joy in how you live. The next thing is kindness. And it can be extended to a moral goodness or integrity. But it's doing good things again for others. In Luke 6.35, once again, Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. For your reward will be great in heaven. You'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. He is kind to everybody, not because they're worthy of it, but because they need it. Did you ever think of that? The people need light. They're in darkness all the time. When I see blind people, I just, oh, especially if they were born that way, they've never seen a sunset. They've never seen green grass. They have no idea what a red and green Christmas tree looks like. They live in a, a black, dark world, and, and their mind can only imagine probably wrong. Our world is blind, guys. They're in darkness. And God loves the world. He sent his only begotten son. It says in in, in Isaiah that he sent Jesus right into the midst of the darkness, that he could be a light unto Israel. How do you be a light of the world? It's kindness. Why do you think that guy is all mad at you right now? For thinking you just cut him off on the freeway, it's because God is introducing you into his light. You wouldn't have prayed for him, you wouldn't have thought about him, you wouldn't have looked in his eyes, but yet, this situation where he's saying, Me first, my interest is the most important interest. You need to bow down and serve me on the freeway. And he needs light. we go, yes, I will serve you. Yes, your interests are more important than my interest. Yes, you are more important than me. Yes, how can I serve you and love you and and help you? And would you forgive me, even though you're not in the wrong? Forgive me. Help me. I want to be a blessing to you. It's powerful. Kindness is powerful, isn't it? And so we, we we see the ultimate example of kindness in the Good Samaritan story of Luke 10. You guys remember that story, right? The the Pharisee, the lawyer, comes and says, "Hey, uh, what does it take to do? Very important to do to go to heaven." And and Jesus says, "What the law say?" And he goes, "Oh, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself." Okay, who's your neighbor? Uh, I have no idea. Guess the guy who lives next to me? No. Let me tell you a story. There's a guy going from Jericho to Jerusalem, which is just a very desert area. A lot of bandits can be there. And and anyway, he ended up getting robbed and beaten up, and he's laying along the road. And it, and they're heading from Jericho to Jerusalem because it's feast time. And if you know the the priestly rules, they can't be around the dead. They can't make themselves impure in any way or then they become unclean and can't be a part of the the Jewish ceremony. And so first of all, the Levite comes by. He's a general priest. Or excuse me, not a Levite. A priest goes by. a, a Son of Aaron, but in the general priesthood. And he sees a guy and ignores it and goes on the opposite side of the road, ignoring. And he's a Jewish man that's been injured. And then later, now the Kohathite, the Levitical priesthood of Aaron, who can be the high priest in that lineage, he sees him and he also does the same. If you know how much Jews hated Samaritans, they, they would go literally a day out of their way so they didn't have to put one toe on Samaritan soil when they had to travel past Samaria. They hated Samaritans. But the Samaritans saw this unconscious guy near death. He binds him up. He puts him on his own donkey. And if you know the culture of that day, when you're pulling the donkey, the guy on the donkey is your master. (laughs) And he gets to the first inn and he takes care of him. And he was a busy man. He was an important man. I can't stay here. I got to go. But he tells the innkeeper, and if you know something you never want to tell an Arab guy, whatever you think, I'll pay you. Okay? (laughs) It's just going to be a lot more than you ever thought. He just tells him, Whatever it takes, I'll pay you. Just take care of this man supremely until I get back. And Jesus says, who is the neighbor? And they said this. In, in verse 37 of Luke 10, he said, he said, he who showed mercy on him was his neighbor. And Jesus said to them, go and do likewise. What is it? Kindness. Interesting that we owe our salvation to God's kindness towards us. Did you know that kindness is literally what brought us to hear the gospel in Romans two twenty two verse four? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, His forbearance, His long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? Not knowing that God's goodness is leads us to repentance. Listen to Titus three verse four through seven. Important passage. And when the kindness And the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Where did we get all this washing and renewing and this pouring out? It was through Jesus and his kindness. That having been justified by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then, after kindness, we come to humility, which is very close, really, um, to that. They're all very similar. But... The humility is an opinion about yourself that that is bringing God into the equation. And then it's an honest evaluation. So you can actually call yourself humble and be humble. Moses did. We're going to be reading that as we study Exodus on Wednesday nights. He, He said, and Moses is the humblest man on the earth. And we know that Moses wrote that. Now he wrote it because God told him to write it. But it's just the fact, he was. And, and that's, that's in, in comparison to God. So to say I am righteous of myself, it's not am I righteous more than the most righteous men that I know here in prison at San Quentin. <laughs> okay? Or it's, I'm the most righteous man I know here in Los Alamitos. It's just not saying much. When the definition of righteousness is perfection of God, now you're humble, you see. My righteous now is as filthy rags before God. Now there's true hum- humility. Because a person can, can be very prideful and say they're not humble at all, right? I mean, if, if you take the, the guy who's the stats show that he's the number one quarterback this year in the NFL, And they say, how does it feel being the number one quarterback in the NFL? And he goes, nah, I can barely throw the ball. I can't even believe I'm playing. I'm just no good. It's not humility, is it? Humility is an honest assessment of you compared to God. And Jesus, it was because of that humility that people were healed and restored. Did you ever know that? In in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How is it that he can do that? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me or learn of me, be a disciple. For I am gentle and what? Lowly in heart. Another way of saying humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Truly humble people is healing because they're just completely honest and accurate about themselves and the human race. In Philippians 2, once again, in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Lowliness of mind, humility. Let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, you truly see yourself as their servant, just like Jesus saw himself as a servant of all men. It wasn't he wasn't the whole time going, ah, you know, I, I love that story that Gail Irwin taught when he was in college. Um, they would have a burning, a, a burning on Friday nights. It was like an afterglow service at the Christian college they went to. And one of the guys in the college that week at chapel had really gotten touched and really surrendered his life to the Lord in a new way. And, and he said, I've got to work Friday night because I wanted to take my hidden stack of Playboy books and burn them in the fire. would. And he asked his roommate, would you please do that for me? And he's like, oh, you know. And so he goes down that Friday night and he takes the first pornography magazine. He goes, it's not mine. <laughs> the next one, it's not mine. <laughs> well... A true humble heart would say, hey, I'm the biggest sinner in the world. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. I like that the older I get. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. There it is. Be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble So there's a special grace coming when you truly come and clothe yourself. It's interesting Peter uses that word, isn't it? Because that's exactly what we're learning in Colossians 3, to clothe yourself in humility. And then the last thing here we see is meekness or gentleness or humility. They're also very close. But the difference is, is often people think of meekness as weakness Or meekness as spinelessness. It's actually the opposite. Meekness is willing to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. Jesus said it simply this way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wow, what what a great reward. You'd think everybody would strive to be meek. So we see meekness during the final hours of Jesus, the, most ex- the greatest example of meekness. Do you remember this story where he comes and he prays in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, he says, let this cup pass from me, Father, but not my will, yours be done. And then they come to arrest Jesus and, and Jesus who has been sweating and bleeding through this, the, the, this, his sweat glands And he's so stressed and he prays over and over again, wakes up at his disciples, pray with me guys, I need support right now, help me. And he's crying out to the father and there they come and and Peter pulls out his sword (laughs) and Jesus says, put that thing away. If I needed a sword, I could get a legion of angels with their swords right now. And if you've read the Old Testament, God often destroys entire nations with one angel. Okay, I I don't know what a legion of angels would do, but you could probably destroy the universe 10 times over. So Jesus is is not saying it's not about power. I have the power to stop this, but I'm being called to be meek. And that is to not use my power when I have the power but to choose to humble myself into their hands. And this is what we see with the mighty men of God throughout the entire Old Testament, throughout history, having great power, but in humility, keeping it under constraint. I think a great picture of it is a a giant gorilla holding a brand new baby. Those big, giant hands. And it's gently holding the baby, making sure the baby's not injured. So let's think about this. Number one, meekness reveals whether we are full of pride or humility. When we're put in that place, it's you're going to suffer. If you don't step up and you are meek, you are going to look weak. You are going to look like they're more powerful. You are going to look subservient. So often it's pride that just says, I'm not going to look lesser than this guy if I walk away from this fight. I could beat him up easily. Secondly, meekness is when our life doesn't go the way we want it to or when we get treated unfairly with anger or by lashing out at people when we feel we are not, I think I went too far tonight, we know that we are meek and not by how we respond. So let me say number two again. Meekness is when our life doesn't go the way we want it to or when we get treated unfairly We will know if we are meek or not by how we respond. Boy, we teach that to our kids early, don't we? That's not fair. Yes, correct. Sin coming into this world makes it. So most of the time, things are not fair. And by you trying to get your fairness when everybody else isn't getting their fairness is pride. But even if I could get my fairness, okay, I could get my revenge, and I don't do it. That reveals what really is in your heart. Number three, when we respond with anger or by lashing out at people, or when we feel we are not getting treated as we ought to be, that reveals the pride at work in us. So lashing out is indeed... You have the power to scold that person. You have the power to make that person feel bad. You have the power to put that person in their place. And you don't. And number four, when we have a spirit that yields rather than demands our own way, that's meekness. I'm gonna read that again. Then I'm gonna read James 3. I think it's the most important point of today. When we have the spirit that yields rather than demands our own way, that is meekness. Listen to this, guys. In James 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise in understanding you among you? Let him show. Not, not let me hear what you have to say. Let me see your lifestyle. If you're really wise, I'll see it in your lifestyle. Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in, what? The meekness of wisdom. That's interesting that he settles on that one attribute. He doesn't say humility or not being prideful. He says, if you're really a wise person, we will see it in meekness. Was Jesus wise by submitting to the will of the Father and letting them arrest him and put him on the cross and crucify him? Whew. Without Jesus' meekness, we are all in trouble. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, even demonic. Wow, the opposite of meekness is even demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists confusion and every evil thing are there, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, Then gentle, and really this is the next three words, I think, the the key to this passage. Willing to yield. Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So true meekness is when we are willingly lose our lives for the care of others. Meekness is when we show no benefit to ourselves, but give the benefit to others. Even though we have the power to benefit ourselves, we don't purposely. I want to read this again, once again, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11, going a little further this time in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the parents as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name that which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. Those in heaven and those on earth, those under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Powerful stuff. Jesus, coming with his humility, coming in this lowliness of mind, coming in this meekness, led us through his kindness to himself. And all of those troubled people could find rest for their souls because his soul was so humble and lowly and meek. This is what the world needs. The world is full of anxiety. You say, man, the church in America is dying. You know what? I'm not so sure. I think there's a lot less people in church, and I'm not so sure it's not a bad thing. Because I think a lot of people were saying, it's my religious duty. And when we talk about taking off the old man and putting on the new man, they have no interest in that. I'm not going to actually do any of this Christian stuff. I'm just showing up on Sunday morning. It's interesting that most of Israel are atheists. I mean, we're talking way up into the 80s, 90s percentage. But then look at the percent that go to synagogue every week. It's a huge percentage. Because it's, it's tradition for them. It has nothing to do with worshiping God. It's, it's, this is how we keep our Jewish tradition alive, is by going to synagogue and, and doing all the, the religious stuff. And so we we really come to these passages and and we realize where is the power of the church being a light and a salt? It really has to do how you live Monday through Saturday. We need to come to church because we need each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to ask each other, what did God speak to you today? How can I pray for you this week? Let me lay hands on you. And we're praying for one another because we really love each other and care for each other. And then I'm putting on the new man before I leave for work. And when I get home, I'm taking off the old man. My garments got all putrefied, didn't make it. Put on the new man again. Taking it off, putting it on, maybe two or three times a day, maybe more. But I, I realized that men came into Jesus because of his kindness. We are saved because of Jesus's kindness. And so last of all, long-suffering or patience. Long-suffering, it it sounds just like, it sounds, it's a continuous suffering. But it's really in being patient, you're suffering. So a patient person does not get angry with others. A patient person's the opposite of a resentful, revengeful person. A patient person has self-restraint, steady response to the face of provocation. A, a, a person full of patience doesn't get angry. You know, Jesus is, in a, in a word, long-suffering. Really, that's it. It's a continuous kindness that has no depths, that has no stop to it. And this is what we learn in 1 Corinthians 13. What's the very first quality of love? love suffers long, (laughs) a continual patience. And here's the first one, it's kind. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the the number one thing about love that never fails is a long-suffering kindness. We sin, we're selfish, we hurt other people, we're getting what's due us. We're making sure we get our fair share. We're stepping on other people. We're hurting other people to get my, my stuff and, and, and to get richer and, and more fabulous and more famous and better looking or whatever it is, I gotta, I gotta get mine. And the whole time, Jesus keeps loving us, keeps being kind to us. Even when we're Ebenezer Scrooge, even when we're the thief on the cross, mocking Jesus along with everybody else. And then I realize, whoa, he just, why nails driven through his hands, thieves were probably just tied by ropes, but Jesus had nails through his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns upon his head. He had been beaten, his face no longer looked human, Isaiah 52 says. And he could barely breathe. (gasps) Father, forgive him. They know not what they do. Kindness. John, take care of Mary. Love, kindness, kindness, persistent, right to the end, where every part of his body was screaming to say, I'm gonna get you. You're killing me today, but I can destroy all you in hell. You know, I'm gonna get the last laugh on this thing. I may just be a humble servant, but I'm also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus remained a nobody right to the very end in the eyes of men. His unstoppable kindness, that love that never failed. Jesus, who is love, never fails. First John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love, and love is God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Let us love one another, for God, love is of God, And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then in 1 John 4, 8, the very next verse, for God is love. William Barclay in his commentary says this, This is the spirit which never loses its patience with its fellow men. Their foolishness and their unteachability never drive it to criticism or despair. I'll tell you, I needed to hear that the wickedness of our nation, the wickedness of Canada right now, the wickedness of, it's, it's driving me to despair. It really is, but that's how Jesus came into the world. The whole world was that wicked. He goes on to say, their insults and their ill treatment never drive it to bitterness or wrath. His Father, forgive him. Lord, touch him. And then we, as the church, to go and be the light in the world. How by passion, not attract everybody. No, that's great. I mean, I, I think that's great. But that's not it. <laughs> it's by going and putting on love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. So much more. Just walking, taking off the things that are so natural to us in our sinful condition and putting on things that are impossible for us without the power of God's Spirit. Lord, we come before you now, and we can only try to put these things in so many different ways to get us all to open our eyes and see. But you're keeping us at a very slow pace through this, maybe for this very reason. As we start this new year, you're speaking a deep spiritual truth into our lives. And Lord, we yield. We come and we yield. We say, Lord, we get it. We hear it. Apart from you, though, we can do nothing. But we come to you, Lord, and we know all things are possible through you who strengthen us. So we know we're saved. We know we're going to heaven by grace. And now we want to strive to grab a hold of what you've grabbed us hold of for. We want to beat our body into subjection. We want to crucify our flesh with its passions and desires that we might grab a hold of you, Jesus, as you have grabbed a hold of us. And we know the secret sauce is just being as you were being in <laughs> kindness, not being religious. The religious people hated you for not being religious. It wasn't about burning candles or burning incense or how many times a day we got on our knees. It was just about being loving when the whole world around you was hateful, being kind when nobody was being kind to anybody else, not looking for a fair world, but looking just to serve even the lowliest of the lowliest. Lord, we come and ask that you would help us to crucify our flesh with its passions and desires. Give us grace to deny ourselves and take up the cross daily to follow you. Give us the wherewithal to take off and then to put on as we continue to walk in these steps of sanctification. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.